George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Trump in Davos, the impeachment theater and danger, and President Trump rolls on anchor babies, refugees, and trade. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We cannot talk about the impeachment ongoing in Washington every day. I'm going to get to that in the next segment but I want to focus in the first five today on what President Trump is accomplishing despite the efforts of the American left to take down his presidency. President Trump, as all of you likely, or many of you likely know, spoke at the Davos conference, which is uh, on just the 50th anniversary of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. I want to start by playing a clip by President Trump of his speech in Davos, and Matt, the very wonderful producer, has this. This is clip one, and again, this is the World Economic Forum, which President Trump is now speaking at for the second time. President Obama spoke there. Previous presidents speak there. The world comes together, allegedly the world that's committed to free markets, but not really. But here we go, President Trump's comments at Davos yesterday. Congratulations on your 50th year hosting the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, a truly amazing achievement. It's an honor to address the distinguished members of this organization for the second time as president. When I spoke at this forum two years ago, I told you that we had launched the great American comeback. Today, I'm proud to declare that the United States is in the midst of an economic boom, the likes of which the world has never seen before. We've regained our stride, rediscovered our spirit, and reawakened the powerful machinery of American enterprise. Just last week alone, the United States concluded two extraordinary trade deals, the agreement with China and the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, the two biggest trade deals ever made. They just happened to get done in the same week. These agreements represent a new model of trade for the 21st century, agreements that are fair, reciprocal, and that prioritize the needs of workers and families. Before my presidency began, the outlook for many nations was bleak. Top economists warned of a protracted worldwide recession. The World Bank lowered its projections for global growth to a number that nobody wanted to even think about. Pessimism had taken root deep in the minds of leading thinkers, business leaders, and policymakers. Yet despite all of the cynics, I had never been more confident in America's future. I knew we were on the verge of a profound economic resurgence if we did things right one that would generate a historic wave of investment, wage growth, and job creation. 
I knew that if we unleashed the potential of our people, if we cut taxes, slashed regulations, and we did that at a level that's never been done before in the history of our country in a short period of time, fixed broken trade deals and fully tapped American energy, that prosperity would come thundering back at a record speed. And that is exactly what we did, and that is exactly what happened. Folks, I know that was a little bit lengthy for an opening five segment, but I wanted to share that with you because there are several important points to realize about it. Number one, during this time that President Trump is over at the World Economic Forum, speaking to a large number of world leaders gathered to talk about the world's economic situation, he's giving that speech while back in the Senate, in our country, the U.S. Senate, the Senate is hearing the impeachment trial brought to them because of the House uh, brought two articles of impeachment and passed two articles of impeachment against the president. My point is, President Trump is so committed uh, to and clear about what he thinks that he's over there talking about the tremendous economic growth in America and the turnaround in America because of his commitment and his following through on the fair market, the free market principles he stands for, the idea of America resurging with a free market economy, the idea of bringing jobs back to America, insisting on fair trade deals, reducing regulation, reducing taxes, inspiring the growth of the private sector in America. He believed in what he ran on. He carried it through. He carried out and is carrying out during his presidency. And he's over there talking about it. It's especially significant because at this World Economic Forum, this Davos conference, over the years, the conference, is, is, as you heard him say, this is the 50th anniversary of it. Over the years, this conference that started out being a discussion about the world's economic situation and how we're all doing has morphed into a gripe session by socialist countries or socialist-minded countries complaining about wealth inequity, complaining about the need of the wealthy countries to just give more money away to other countries, complaining about climate change, and essentially using this forum to criticize freedom, to criticize free markets, to criticize the idea that free markets create abundance. President Trump knows that. He is talking to them not just about how great America is doing, how well our economy is thriving, how well our economy is working and jobs are back and and we have a booming economy and a growing economy and low unemployment, all the numbers we've talked about in the show so many times. But he's really standing up for the idea of economic freedom in a place where it became very trendy over the last several years to have socialists talk about criticizing freedom and free markets. One I want to mention in particular, this is an article and it's on our website. If you go to our website, americachemitalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, you can go to get to this article. A gentleman who happens to be a friend of mine, he's also a renowned economist, a great writer, Dr. Merrill Matthews, wrote about this shift in the World Economic Forum and how unique it was that Trump is there saying, hey, you know, we're actually here to talk about freedom and free markets and, and we're not going to get sucked into this, this socialist, uh, you know, criticism of wealth, criticism of a success agenda. So one fact to share with you, Adair Turner, he's a former head of the UK's bank regulator. He's a, he's a regular at the Davos conference and he said something a few years ago, we are past peak laissez-faire in many ways. Laissez-faire is a 
term they use in economics, and I, my high school friends shall tell you it means to, to let do or let it go or let the free market rule. Laissez-faire is kind of the government stepping back and letting the market do things. He says we're past that. We, this socialist from Britain, said we're past the idea of free markets or laissez-faire. We passed it in the financial system 10 years ago, uh, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he went on and on. This guy has made comments, as have others, at this world conference about being critical of successful nations, critical of the development of strong economies and free market economies. President Trump also used the occasion to take a couple cuts, uh, a couple jabs at the climate change activists who are there, of course. Greta Thunberg, whom I truly actually feel sorry for. I think she's not mentally well. But Greta Thunberg blasted them again with some idiotic, uninformed statement. And President Trump, having none of it, uh, pretty much said, you know, never mind about her. We're going to move on with reality. But I want to commend President Trump in the course of this time when he is serving as president. Our country is going in the right direction in countless ways. The Senate is trying to remove him. The Democrats are trying to remove him. And he is over in Davos celebrating again the things he stands for and ran on, which are basically the resurgence of freedom, the, the uh, resurgence of idea of a free market economy bringing people up, and the resurgence of the idea of America as a country rooted in freedom and and not in, in the slightest embarrassed about America's success because of its commitment to free market ideas. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, we do have to talk about impeachment today, and I want to mention something about impeachment that I think really matters. You know the stories when they have it really bad, uh, you know, school shootings or really bad uh, things that happen and, and involving a shooter or some horrible person. And you often hear people say, maybe it's better to not have so much media talking about this person, giving them attention, giving, putting their name in the paper, giving them headlines, blathering on and on about what they did, because it may inspire, it may embolden wrongdoers, it may inspire other wrongdoers. And I have a little bit of a similar feeling about humoring this impeachment effort. This impeachment effort is just the latest verse of the same song the Democrats have been singing since the moment President Trump won the presidency in the elections of 2016. Just a new way to try to get rid of him. There is no merit, no substance, no, no fairness, no justice, nothing about what the Democrats are doing in this impeachment effort. But I do feel like I have to touch on some things because you are going to see headlines and maybe you'll even be talking to your friends and want to be sharing with your friends why you do not support this impeachment. So I want to share just some basic points about that really uh, that are uh, just, I, I think, very, very important to understand. Number one, it came to light recently that, and I'm just going to say, this whole impeachment got started because an alleged whistleblower, a super secret person, alleged whistleblower, whose name has been spread all over social media, named Eric Charamella. This is supposedly the author of the super secret whistleblower complaint that got us to where we are today as we sit in, in America in January 2020 watching, or I don't watch, but the Senate is conducting an impeachment trial. Back to this new report that came out. So Eric Charamella was actually a holdover in the White House from the Obama era. Perhaps mistake number one, keeping anyone in the White House as a holdover from the Obama era. But Eric Charamella worked in the White House uh, under Obama, stayed over as President Trump took over. He has a close friend who also did the same thing, a, a holdover from the Obama administration in the White House named Sean Misko. 
These two characters were friends. This new report, and again, you can go to my website and read it, americachemitalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, read this story yourself. Real Clear Politics, Real Clear Investigations has come out with a story basically saying barely two weeks after President Trump took office, so January 2017, a person is now reporting to Real Clear Investigations that Eric Charamella, who is a CIA analyst, who, you know, supposedly the whistleblower that launched a whole impeachment effort, was talking with his good friend, Sean Misko, and they were both basically saying they were talking about trying to find a way to remove the newly elected president from office. Two weeks after Trump is in, Charamella's had this conversation with Sean Misko. Sean Misko left the White House. He went to work on the Adam Schiff team, the, the guy who's now front and center in the Senate trial, the House member, U.S. House member from California, uh, who, who you know ran the initial committee investigation, the inquiry before it moved over to the Judiciary Committee. He runs intelligence. This guy, Sean Misko, talking with Charamella in the White House, now on the shift team, is, is this report is saying they were talking about as early as 2016, and the person, I mean, sorry, early as 2017, early on in President Trump's first few weeks in office, this person, this former official in the White House, talking to Real Clear Investigations, said they weren't just bent on subverting his agenda. They weren't just saying, let's just make his agenda fail. They weren't just bent on subverting his agenda, they were plotting to actually have him removed from office. That's one little piece I want to plant in your heart as you're thinking through how you're going to think about this impeachment effort. Uh, many, many more I do want to share, but that is an important one to understand. Uh, the next one I want to turn to is that as we've moved over to the Senate, you now have, and I think everyone understands this, we've mentioned it before, but the, the uh, House did their investigation. They were completely unwilling to wait for rulings from the relevant courts on their motions, on their uh, suits, to demand that the president produce certain people and certain documents over which the presidency or the administration was asserting executive privilege. The House Democrats would not wait for court rulings. They really especially wanted John Bolton. They wanted former National Security Advisor John Bolton as a witness. And you understand, of course, the challenge that the president's supposed to have executive privilege over some, we don't, you know, it, it gets defined as it rolls along over the years by courts interpreting, but it's a recognized, long recognized executive privilege. So the House didn't want to wait. They really had to get this impeachment done. They raced it through without waiting for court decisions to get the witnesses. Then I mean, they had a lot of witnesses. They had documents. They had testimony. But they could have made a more compelling case if they really wanted to. Now, I'm not saying they could have made a compelling case. They could have gotten more witnesses there, but they didn't do it. So now we're over in the Senate, and you have the uh, senators dealing with the battle between the House managers who are now presenting the case that the House made for this impeachment. So they present their case, and then the president's lawyers present his defense. That is as far as the procedure has gone. I mean, that hasn't been concluded. That's as far as the procedure has been set. There was a very, very, very late night battle over setting the rules in the Senate, over how exactly we're going to move forward on this process. And long after midnight, there was a decision, the House rule, the Senate rules, which are exactly the same as the Senate rules when President Clinton was being impeached, or the, the trial was occurring in the Senate, same rules finally passed, and those rules define 
the process, how we move forward. Well, there were battles in the Senate over some amendments to the rules that the Democrats wanted. One of them, one of those battles was the battle over whether or not Senate Democrats or, or the House managers you know, who are presenting their case to the Senate, whether they could call John Bolton as a witness. So this is a battle that's going on. So as it sits right now, all they've agreed on, the rules that passed, and by the way, rules passed 53-47, all of them except for one, one rule, one Republican went over the Democrats, Susan Collins of Maine. But basically, all the rules the Senate had to get resolved before they can move forward and start the process, all the rules passed as Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, wanted them to go. So it was 53-47, got the rules in place. Now we're going to move forward into the actual uh, beginning of the, of the case to be presented by the House managers. But there was a late night battle in the Senate, late night battle between uh, Gerald Nadler, who is the member of the U.S. House, Democrat member, U.S. House, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, who, who actually did the hearing that led to the uh, vote for impeachment on the two articles. And then, so it was a battle between him and a lawyer for the president named Pat Cipollone. And I want to have Matt, the very wonderful producer, play. We had, I mean, there are many clips. We could have spent the whole show doing clips, but I, I, I can't do that. But I do want to have Matt play. Uh, Pat Cipollone is the president's attorney addressing the Senate. And I, I'm just going to play a little clip, but I want to tell you what, what kicked off what he had to say. Number one, the impeachment charge against the president. There are two things. One is abuse of power. This is their allegation, abuse of power, which is not a crime, which is what they're characterizing the uh, arrangement or the conversation between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky is allegedly abuse of power. And the second one is, uh, second impeachment uh, article is called obstruction of Congress. Well, what they're basically, the Democrats are arguing is, is the president wouldn't give us everything we wanted. That's, they are saying that's obstruction of Congress. And we, the House members, we're not waiting to find out how the courts would rule. We're not going to wait to find out the courts agree with the president's assertion of executive privilege or whether we're right and we're entitled. You're going to give us what we want right now or else that's obstruction of Congress. Pat Cipollone is the lawyer for the president, obviously involved in the discussions with the president over the scope, the meaning of executive privilege, over all sorts of legal issues, which you have to be able, as any individual in the country, you have to be able to discuss with your lawyers. So the Democrats, Nadler and other House members were making noise about the idea that Cipollone, Trump's attorney, might possibly be a material witness on some of these charges about obstruction of Congress. You have to understand how absurd this is. This is basically saying President Trump has no ability, no right to be able to assess his legal situation as the House is moving to impeach him to have an attorney help advise him on what exactly the executive privilege extends to. The Democrats are saying that by itself, the conversation by the president with his own attorney Cipollone might make Cipollone a material witness to the president's obstruction of Congress. And so Nadler gets up, and I'm sorry, Matt, I wonder if I'm not even gonna play Nadler, I can't even stand, no, I, I do wanna play Cipollone, I'm not playing Nadler, I can't even stand listening to him anymore, but Cipollone got up 
in the Senate last night to respond to a spewing, outrageous, obnoxious presentation by Gerald Nadler, by Democrat House member, chair of the Judiciary Committee, Nadler, in which he basically said to the Senate, he accused in front of the Senate, in front of all of America, accused Cipollone, the House, the, the, uh, all of the uh, president's lawyers, the whole administration, and he used the expression, they lie and they lie and they lie and they lie. It was a hysterical attack on Cipollone. And finally, the uh, lawyers for the president, uh, Pat Cipollone, got to get up and make his comments. So now, Matt the Wonderful, if we can play this clip by Pat Cipollone, the president's lawyer. Members of the Senate, we came here today to address the false case brought to you by the House managers. Sorry. We've been respectful of the Senate. We've made our arguments to you. And you don't deserve and we don't deserve what just happened. Mr. Nadler came up here and made false allegations against our team. He made false allegations against all of you. He accused you of a cover-up. He's been making false allegations against the president. The only one who should be embarrassed, Mr. Nadler, is you for the way you've addressed this body. This is the United States Senate. You're not in charge here. This is the president's lawyer. In a minute, I'm going to play a little clip. President Trump, after making his brilliant speech at the Davos Economic Conference, took questions, had a very, very long press conference, and actually addressed exactly what you just heard. Address what Cipollone had to say, address the impeachment. But I want to add a couple of things that are really good points to understand at the beginning of this ridiculous and hopefully short Senate impeachment process. So the other, one, there are many wonderful lawyers helping President Trump, defending him. One is Jay Sekulow. So you had, just saw Cipollone really set Nadler straight. It was a very, very well done in a most professional and dignified way, but really said, you know, Nadler, you're grotesquely out of line. Jay Sekulow, another brilliant lawyer for President Trump, took on Adam Schiff, the one whose very staffer, by the way, we talked earlier in the show about how this uh, Eric Charmella guy came up with this, uh, you know, this supposedly secret, super secret whistleblower complaint uh, and was court, but we didn't talk about it again today, coordinating with the Schiff campaign, Schiff team, coordinating with Schiff's office. And then, so Schiff is in the middle of this. Schiff could be called as a witness for crying out loud, but Jay Sekulow uh, reminded um, Schiff, Adam Schiff, in this Senate hearing that we're now um, all being tortured to watch, of, the, of how differently Schiff approached things uh, back in the time. He's saying a different approach that Schiff took uh, when the Republican-led Congress held then-Attorney General Eric Holder in contempt. And you may remember that the Republican Congress held the uh, Department of Justice, the, the Attorney General Eric Holder, in contempt because he wouldn't produce documents related to fa Operation Fast and Furious. Because, because Obama and Holder were, you know, deep uh, up to their knees in the Fast and Furious scandal. But in any case, Sekulow quoted Schiff, 
who actually wrote an article in Politico in 2012. The White House assertion of privilege is backed by decades of precedent that has recognized the need for the president and his senior advisors to receive candid advice and information from their top aides. Sekulow is pointing out this crazy assertion by Schiff and others that who are saying the president cannot assert executive privilege over his own lawyer. That's what they're saying. Over his own lawyer, Cipollone, cannot assert executive privilege and cannot assert executive privilege over John Bolton, the national security advisor. And I want to make this point in a short sentence and let, let hear what President Trump had to say about it. The argument by the Democrats now in the Senate trying to remove the president is that the national security advisor of the United States of America giving advice they, one of the closest advisors that could be to a president should have to testify in a hearing to remove the president and that the president is wrong to try to assert executive privilege over that testimony. If you're the president and you have top advisors in the extremely important role of national security advisor, you need to be able to speak candidly to that national security advisor. You need to be able to say, hey, I'm not sure I trust you know, leader X of this country. I think leader X is maybe out of line on this. I think he's got a bad motive. I think some other guy in some other country might be a problem too. You need to be able to speak openly and confidentially. People who work in the national security, for the national, who are the national security advisor, who work on the National Security Council, they are trusted inside advisors because otherwise the president has no one to turn to to get to the kind of advice he needs. So this is the man that the Democrats are saying, John Bolton serving as national security advisor, this is the man the Democrats are saying Trump has no right to assert executive privilege over. Now, Matt the Wonderful, I do want to ask you to play clip four, uh, which is President uh, Trump speaking to this very issue at Davos about what, what, whether it's right or wrong to, uh, for him to assert executive privilege over the testimony of National Security Advisor John Bolton. Here's Trump. In regards to the proceedings going on in the Senate, would you like to see this over quickly? Would you like to see a thorough examination of the facts? Uh, what did you make of the dust-up between the White House counsel Pat Cipollone and Gerald Nadler last night? And are you absolutely against John Bolton testifying? Uh, well, you're asking a lot of questions. First of all, uh, Gerald Nadler, I've known him a long time. He's a sleazebag. Everybody knows that. Uh, Pat Cipollone is a high-quality human being. I was very impressed with Pat. He had great emotion yesterday. Uh, Pat's a brilliant guy, but I've never seen that emotion. And that's real emotion. That's because he knows this is a hoax. I think that um, the — I would rather go the long way. I would rather interview Bolton. I would rather interview a lot of people. Uh, the problem with John is that it's a national security problem. You know, you can't have somebody who's at national security. And uh, if you think about it, John, he knows some of my thoughts. He knows what I think about leaders. Uh, what happens if he reveals what I think about a certain leader and it's not very positive and that I have to deal on behalf of the country. It's going to be very hard. It's going to make the job very hard. When you have a national security, you could call it presidential prerogative. You could just call it the way I look at it. I call it national security for national security reasons. Executive privilege, they say. 
so that would John would certainly fit into that. When you're a national security advisor, like this gentleman's doing a fantastic job, Robert, um, I just think it's very hard. And I've always gotten along. I've actually gotten along with John Bolton. Uh, he didn't get along with other people, a lot of other people. But when he knows uh, my thoughts on certain people and other governments, and we're talking about massive trade deals and war and peace and all these different things that we talk about, uh, that's really a very important national security problem, I think, having somebody. I got to tell you, folks, there was a really good press conference. And again, you can go to our website and I think you can find a clip to this or else you can find it on if you go on YouTube yourself. But it was really good. The president, you know, this is obviously he's taking a uh, call, questions from the press. You know, he doesn't have his teleprompter in front of him. He's speaking from the heart and basically saying, you know, look at the precedent you may be setting and look at the danger. How can I function as a president if I assume my top advisors to whom I express my concerns, fears, perceptions, assessments of all sorts of leaders are then going to go out and, and talk about that, expose all that on national television just to make the Senate happy. I want to wrap up the discussion on this impeachment, though, with three other really, really important points that, that matter a lot. I have a little clip. Uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, I think you realize Chief Justice John Roberts is now, he is the presiding over the Senate trial. So he is sworn in all 100 senators as witnesses. So they're there being witnesses in this impeachment. And it's kind of a funny thing you think about, the number of senators running for president on the Democrat side who are there going to be sworn in as witnesses and then get to vote on the removal of the president. I'd say they have a, a very significant conflict of interest. I mean, seriously, these are senators who want his job. They, they may think they have much easier time getting his job, becoming president next time, uh, if they can remove him, if they can be use it as their uh, campaign message, I voted to remove the bad guy. I mean, this is, they have a huge conflict. But anyway, back to the process. John Roberts is overseeing this. Last night it came to uh, raise voices in the very late afternoon, I think it was 1.50 a.m., they, they adjourned, but very uh, raised voices and anger uh, between the Democrats and Republicans. And uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, whom I'm only tepidly, I mean, I, I appreciate him. I don't have a complete confidence in him. But in any case, he is overseeing this, and he did have to issue a bit of a statement to the people, um, to the parties in front of him, uh, basically saying, you know, you're, this is the most um, dignified, deliberative body in the world. This is the most honored, revered, deliberative body in the world. We have to remember that. We have to conduct ourselves that way. I think I'll clip plant. I'll skip playing the clip, but he did have to do that. And I, it was a good thing. They are supposed to have a somewhat dignified proceeding. But I have to ask you, and really anybody, if you were falsely accused of something you truly didn't do, and you had to be in trial, and you had to listen to the parade of witnesses on the other side who are out to get you, you know they've been out to get you since the moment you whatever, got your new job, uh, moment, whatever it is you did. And the moment President Trump got his job as president, won the presidency, these people have been out to get him. And they've been out to get him from the uh, American left, talking about from Maxine Waters to numerous members of the House, leaders of the Democrat Party, over and over promising to impeach this guy, to find a way to doing it. You know, distracted America from the business of, of running America for years of the Mueller uh, investigation into the non-existent Trump-Russia collusion. 
and you're still, and now you're watching all this. I mean, yeah, at some point, you're going to be a little emotional. To, if you were, not even just if you're the person accused, as President Trump is, but his lawyers, his team, his supporters, this whole impeachment is a political farce. Which leads me to one thing I wanted to say, uh, just huge kudos and shout out to Senator Marsha Blackburn. You know, we have not had her on the show before, but I've met her before. She's an incredibly uh, amazing, articulate, thoughtful person. And she has been out, she did an interview, I think she was on Sean Hannity's show, one of the shows, but she basically said, this impeachment trial is a political farce. No witnesses or documents are needed. She's calling it out now saying what it is, it's a political farce. I have to hand her credit. Very hard for people defending the president to continue to pretend this is a highfalutin, uh, you know, genuine uh, and, and vital hearing in the Senate to determine wrongdoing or not. This is just an attempt to destroy the president. Also want to make the point on, the, on how far and deeply the Democrats are into this, uh, committed to try to get rid of Trump any way they can. Presidential contender Michael Bloomberg. And I had the number on my show the other day, how much he's worth, but it's just, it's, it's a staggering amount of money. It's like $162 billion or some crazy number. Whatever it is, he's, he's just, you know, a billionaire in, in a league of his own. Bloomberg, running for president, polling, I think, still in single digits, never, you know, getting traction because people don't like him. And, you know, he's mayor, you know, uh, big gulp, take away your sugary drinks, mayor. But he actually announced he is diverting some of his money on his campaign ads to run ads in states represented by Republican senators to urge the people in those states to support impeachment to urge them to call their Republican senators and clamor for the president's impeachment. This is how deeply the Democrats want to destroy this president. This is how determined they are to get rid of him. This is a Democrat candidate for president, Bloomberg, who's using his endless campaign money, running ads in Republican states to be sure to encourage Republicans to call their Republican senator and say, please impeach this president. These people are out to get him, and Trump has been right all along to call it. This is just the latest witch hunt. And it's a terrible witch hunt. It's a terrible damage to our country. There was a letter sent to the uh, United States Senate, I think it was 21 Republican attorneys general from states around the country, 21, 20 or 21, sent a letter just saying this impeachment is deeply harmful to America, is tearing America apart. And the reason I know I said at the start of the segment, I don't want to talk a lot about this impeachment. I, we have to cover some of it, but we have to cover some of it because there are people who don't pay attention to the news as closely as many of our listeners do, my listeners do it as closely as I do, and serious thinkers in America who don't pay that close attention, who figure, well, if he's being investigated at this level, he must have done something wrong. Trump must have done something wrong because otherwise, why would we be having an impeachment? There are people who don't know. They assume the existence of the impeachment. The headlines in the newspaper of the impeachment mean something. The Democrats know this. They are milking this impeachment for all the headlines, all the media attention they can get to every possible way they can contort statements and evidence to make the argument that President Trump did something wrong. They are using this for a political gain. The other reason they're using this is in this last year of the Trump first term, if there were to be an opening on the Supreme Court, 
I think Democrats assume they have so sullied the president's reputation that surely he would not dare appoint another member of the Supreme Court. Democrat strategists think like this. Do not ever take the decision the Democrats made to impeach the president at face value. Do not ever assume it's really because they actually think he did something wrong in his call with Zelensky. They can't stand the power he has. They can't stand the, the correction of America's course, to, back on course for freedom that he has taken this country. They can't stand the power he has begun to display in our federal courts as he has had more and more judges appointed to federal courts. There, is a, there are a myriad of reasons, a mountain of reasons Democrats have to want to stymie, sully, destroy, impede President Trump. The impeachment is about that. And they are fully capable and fully willing to drag it out as long as they can. And frankly, if the Senate votes tomorrow to dismiss the articles, to acquit the president, trust me, there will be another impeachment starting in the House in a month because they think they have to take this president down. I think it is helping President Trump. I think it's exposing the Democrats. It is helping President Trump in the election. I think it will help him, but it is harmful to our country. It is a mockery of the Constitution and the seriousness with which the members of the House and Senate are supposed to approach their duty to comply with the Constitution. They are mocking the Constitution and they are hurting America's image internationally. It is truly a disgrace what they are doing. It's important to understand the Democrats' actions at that level. Finally, last quick and very quick stories I want to hit uh, in returning to and before we get to why it matters to you. As I said at the start of this show today, you know, President Trump is out there at Davos giving a fabulous speech touting the virtues of freedom and free markets and, and fighting socialism and developing uh, you know, new industry and reducing taxes, all the free market arguments, making that the Davos conference. But he's making those arguments because of what he said he believed in to start with, and he does believe this, what he did when he got the presidency, when he won the presidency. Two other quick things, just, to, just these stories are great themselves, but I'm telling them to you today because it's really more important to get the idea that President Trump is just gonna keep rolling on being President Trump. He's going to continue his move, his pressing of America, his moving America forward on the, based on the promises he made to us to our country during the campaign. So two quick things. You know the term anchor babies, and a lot of leftists really, really, really hate that term anchor babies, and they find it offensive. Um, I, you know, the simple idea that some people uh, will fly into America from other countries. There are actual cottage industries with people making money doing this, flying in pregnant women to America to give birth to their child in America because that child, so the argument goes, born on American soil, becomes a citizen. And the same thing at the border, the, the uh, southern border with Mexico. Literally, people planning on coming over the border as a woman approaches her due date to be sure to give birth to her child on American soil so that child becomes an American citizen. And it, the term is used, anchor babies, that people then do this for the purpose of having their child be an American citizen. They may almost immediately go back to their home countries, but they've got that child who's got American citizenship, therefore for right to come here, and therefore when they come here at some point, they have the right to bring their family, all the string migration. It is a tactic, it is a ploy, it is a manipulation of the goodness of America.
There's an argument, unsettled yet by the Supreme Court, of whether or not the language in the 14th Amendment actually requires America to treat anchor babies as citizens. Legal scholars differ. I think most legal scholars say, yeah, actually, probably that language, you know, the language in question is whether the child born here to two parents who are not American citizens, whether those parents are subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. That's the language in question. Because the basic idea, if you're born here, you're a citizen, a, a person born here whose parents are subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. So the battle is about whether we can do anything about that, stop this manipulation, contortion, abuse of America's generosity by having literally people making money, running businesses, flying pregnant women in from other countries, have your baby here, fly home, and now they've got their anchor here and they can move forward trying to bring more of their family members here. President Trump is trying to address that. He's... Be, he, wanted he talked i think it was like august last year he talked about the idea you know we might try to address that and just say you know anchor babies are not citizens i mean just to say you know both parents are not are non-citizens and you come here for the purpose of giving birth to your baby you know you're not a citizen now that would be a, a, a tactic to try you'd have to get congress involved to go to the courts he is has not moved forward on that but he is moving forward on an idea of when America grants visas to non-citizens to coming here, to coming to America, if the non-citizen is a pregnant woman, he is introducing the idea, could we have, as part of that process, the questioning of the woman, why is it you need to come here now? Why, I mean, what is the reason you have to be here while you're pregnant and your baby is due? Because we could at least push back as a country to say, wait till your baby's born at home and then come on over. We could try that. I don't know if it'll fly, but this is a president, again, fulfilling his promise to renew the integrity of America's borders, to renew the concept of citizenship. And one last quick factoid I'll tell you, I found this uh, this morning and getting ready for the show today. What do you think the average number per year of anchor babies born in America is? If I were giving this speech in person, I'd say, raise your hand, what do you think? Okay, but we're, but we're not in person, so I'm just going to tell you. According to the Center for Immigration Studies, as of December of 2019, the average number of anchor babies or babies born in America to two citizens who are not, two people who are not American citizens who came here for the purpose of having the baby here is about 33,000 a year. 33,000. That gets you pretty quickly up to you know 100,000. You start running those numbers, you realize this is a cottage industry. And there are actually, there have been prosecutions of some people involved in this cottage industry stuff. So this is a president still doing his agenda. Other thing, there's talk in the Trump administration about expanding the, uh, you know, he had, as you likely recall, he talked about during his campaign, he implemented when he became president, we need to be careful about bringing people to America um, who are refugees, bringing them to our country um, if they may mean us harm. He actually started, it became known as the refugee travel ban, but it really wasn't a travel ban. It was the idea that we're going to more closely examine, closely vet the reasons that some people want to try to come to America because we may end up having people coming here who mean us harm, such as the people who committed the massacre in San Bernardino in December of, I don't remember the year it was, 2015, I think. I don't know whatever year it was. The point is, 
the travel ban President Trump started, the first thing um, he tried, he worked on was uh, trying to bring uh, this travel ban idea, was struck down by a federal court, uh, then withdrawn. Second iteration of the ban issued in 2017, struck down by a federal judge. Third version, finally, issued in September 2017, finally in the Supreme Court ruling in June of 2018, the Supreme Court said yes, the president has the right to issue executive orders to decide to whom and under what conditions, what, what vetting procedures we use for visas. He has this right. So the president has won that case, finally in the Supreme Court. So now President Trump's talking about expanding, adding seven more countries to the list of countries to whom we apply this more rigorous vetting to be sure we're not bringing people here who might mean us harm. All seven countries have significant Islamic populations, although they're not majority, not all are majority Muslim. But this is again the president saying, and I want to close this and turn my first five by saying this. This is the president continuing to take action on the things he promised the voters when he ran, and he promises his supporters at his speeches. He's going to move forward in protecting America, keeping America safe keeping America first in his consideration of the policies he proposes, of the laws he supports, of the ideas he expresses. It is, again, protection of the American people. And I'll tell you again, folks, him pushing these things at a time when impeachment is looming behind him, there'll be plenty of GOP presidents who say, you know what? While this impeachment is going on, let me kind of tiptoe back. Let me be quiet about these things that are controversial. Let me just back down and not get on board with these things that might be harmful or might make people attack me. He is bold on, fire on, you know, all cylinders firing, pursuing the agenda he promised the American people. And now I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. First, Trump in at the Davos conference, the economic conference. This is what a confident and courageous leader looks like. Go right to the home turf of globalism and extol America first. Call them out on their doomsaying and, and expert predictions that were all wrong. Climate hysteria called out specifically just the latest in a series of bogus predictions. Proclaim the formula of freedom, less taxes, less regulation, more trust in people. Expose the unfair history of trade agreements. President Trump is rising in the world's estimation, notwithstanding the left's screaming. And an impeachment theater in danger, paying attention to the impeachment farce, arguably gives it respect it doesn't deserve. But I have a few observations. Eric Charmella, newly revealed, talking in the White House in 2017 about removing Trump, He's not a real whistleblower. Impeachment is not as a real focus uh, on a real issue. It's just the latest in coup plotting. Senator Marsha Blackburn showing some spine. This is a political farce. Bolton kerfuffle is ridiculous. Cipollone as a witness is over the top. If executive privilege doesn't apply to the president and his lawyer and his national security advisor, there is no executive privilege. Impeachment is helping Trump's reelection, hurting America on the world stage. House Democrats are trivializing America and the Constitution. And finally, Trump rolls on, anchor babies, refugees, and trade. The president marches forward with his agenda he ran on, keeping his promises. This is a president acting like a president. There are estimated to be 33,000 anchor babies per year. 
New visa rules would question why a pregnant woman can't defer a visit to the U.S. Travel restrictions considered for seven more countries with significant Islamic population. Some of disturbing records of visa overstays. China phase one trade deal is huge. Huge. Phase two could be bigger. The USMCA, another win. A major new trade deal with UK is expected. It is no surprise. Trump rally in Milwaukee, 57%, not Republicans. Trump rally in Wildwood, New Jersey, 100,000 requests for an 8,000 seat venue. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Love hearing from you. Please subscribe to my newsletter on my website, americacanwetalk.org. Hit subscribe. Get my once-weekly newsletter. Great way to catch up on the shows and to share it with your friends. Follow me on all social media. Please love hearing from you. And most of all, please speak up for America, the most extraordinary gift of human liberty ever to bless this earth. Speak up for America because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America?